kind of interesting that when Joel came to me last fall about doing a, doing a class over atrocities and forgiveness, or as we titled the stories of forgiveness and power, and now for something new. Uh, it was really intriguing, uh, the things we sat down he told me about when he introduced me to Dr. Furch's book. And he was telling me about all the lives that have been lost, especially in the 20th century, millions from needless, senseless acts of violence. Um, and it just made me think even more how much more we need the love and the forgiveness of God in this world today, in our presence. And it's a very real deal. I mean, and it comes to find out that sometimes people don't understand what forgiveness is and what it is not. And there's just a lot of misconceptions out there. So in this class, we just want to kind of touch on these stories of forgiveness and power and looking at it in different various aspects to see if we can help one another come to those places in life where we can learn to forgive, start practicing forgiveness. Because I, for one, don't believe forgiveness is a one-and-done thing. I believe it's a process. It's an ongoing, lifelong process um, that we have to practice, we have to work on. And I think we can't do that alone. I think community helps in forgiveness. Because sometimes when people are impacted by atrocities, it's not just one family, one person. It's like a drop in a bucket of water reverberations that go out into our communities uh, from those things. So we're just going to look at a few things today and talk about community forgiveness. So just want you to read that to yourself. As I've been working on getting ready for this day, these two little pieces of Dr. Furch's book have stuck out to me, especially the second. Forgiveness asks us to love our way through a little bit of messiness, and in fact, often a great deal of messiness. For people who hold tight to an intense need to declare right and wrong, forgiveness is an empty vessel. But for those willing to live in the paradoxical tension of forgiving one hand, on one hand while not depleting personal power on the other, the center of life calls forth the best of our humility. It's that messiness and that thickness and particularity of life that bogs us down at times. It, it makes our hearts heavy with sorrow over the things we see and some things we may have even done or said to people. Messiness is, is part of humanity. It's part of the, a fallen condition. I think Lee Camp one time said in one of our classes when I was his student that when God talks about, when Paul talks about the message of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians, he compares us to jars of clay, earthen vessels, and you know, we're made from the dust of the earth, clay, basically. 
we are earthen vessels. And he says, the thing with earthen vessels is there comes a time and a place those vessels may crack or break under pressure. And then you have a lot of jagged edges. And those edges rub. And they scrape against one another. And by us being flesh, that incurs pain, cuts, and wounds when we encounter one another. And that's a part of our messiness uh, that we, we, we struggle with day in and day out. And that messiness that we encounter sometimes evolves into or devolves into war, into wars. So one thing we want to talk about today or look at is forgiveness. So <laughs> I took this from Freedom Prayer. Uh, I thought this was so poignant and uh, it makes so much sense. Forgiveness is something we need to kind of understand what it is and what it is not. So at the beginning of this, I want to talk about what it's not. It's not a feeling. <clears throat> it's not a feeling of something. Like, I feel like I forgive you. You know? It's not excusing someone else's wrongdoing or forgetting what happened. I need somebody to help us connect an iPhone to Thank you, Laura. <laughs> Forgiveness is not a free pass for somebody to continue to harm you or continue to offend you. It's not a demand to re-enter into relationship with someone. Sometimes the forgiveness, your, your best relationship is leaving them where they are and you move to a different address or for different proximity. You don't have to be right there in their face. Once again, forgiveness is not forgetting. And forgiveness is not always a one and done situation. In 1991, 91 through 95, in the 90s, I think some of us all these wars, let me go back up. The 10 day war in Slovenia, the Croatian War of Independence, the Bosnia War, Kosovo War, insurgency of the Presidio Valley, insurgency of the Republic of Macedonia. These are all what they call the Yugoslav Wars. I've actually had friends that fought in the Bosnia and the, uh, for, NATO, for NATO, and the Bosnia and the Kosovo Wars. And I don't know if many of you remember, but it was a lot of bad stuff that happened in these wars. In those little sit in those countries, um, here's, here's pictures of troops and tanks, and you see the UN right here, graves being dug. A lot of atrocities occurred in the Yugoslav Wars. A whole lot of atrocities. The effects of these wars were genocide, ethnic cleansing, war rape, just to name a few. And when the Bosnian genocide, it referred to the uh, Srebrenica, I can't say the word right, Srebrenica massacre or the wider crimes against humanity. Ethnic cleansing campaign throughout the areas of the control army of Republica. During the Bosnian War from the 1992-95, they hurt a lot of people. Killing more than 8,000 Bosniak and Bosnian Muslim men and boys, as well as a mass expulsion of another 25 to 30,000 Bosnian civilians by VSR, VRS units under the command of a general, Ratko Mladic. 
Ethnicism was a common phenomenon during these wars uh, in Croatia, Kosovo, and Bosnia, and, Her Bosnia and Herzegovina. This entailed intimidation, forced expulsion, or killing. And the interesting part about this, I remember seeing these on headline news and CNN, but I didn't know what it was about. I didn't take the time to find out what was really happening. It just didn't hit my radar. But all these people who were being treated as objects and murdered and killed, I didn't realize in the part of, a part of ethnic cleansing was what they call war rape. And, and they targeted an ethnic group and they took women and children, more than 35,000 women and children, and they put them in Serb-run rape camps. Because during this war, they would allow the soldiers to come through and rape <coughs> these women and children as a part of trying to get rid of folks. Atrocities like this is not what we were put here for at all. So it brings me to this thing. Can you embrace a Ketnik? When I was working on my terminal degree, I met a gentleman who was from uh, Croatia. Him and his wife were here, and he was working on his uh, doctorate, and he introduced me to a book called Exclusion and Embrace, A Theological Exploration of Identity and Otherness and Reconciliation, written by Miroslav Volf in 1996. Volf is a student of Jürgen Moltmann, who's one of the foremost theologians of the 20th century in some cases, uh, and Moltmann Ask his student, Miroslav Volf, Dr. Volf teaches at Yale right now, I believe. Um, he asked him a question, a question in the winter of 1993. In response to him teaching forgiveness, he asked him the question, can you embrace a ketchup? And Volf had argued that we ought to be able, we ought to embrace our enemies as God has embraced us in Christ. Now, a ketnik is a notorious Serbian fighter that sowed seeds of desolation in Croatia, herding people into concentration camps, raping women, burning down churches, destroying cities. And Volf has experienced this. He, see, he, he saw his families and people that he knew going through this. Because in all the ethnic cleansing, they were destroying churches as well. Uh, they weren't immune to the violence. They didn't go around church buildings. If you've ever been outside of the United States and gone to a country that's been touched by a war like this or a civil war, church buildings are not exclusions. They get shot up too. When I did missionary work in the summers of 2004 through 2006 in Romania, I witnessed the aftermath of the revolution they had in their country in the, in the mid-90s. During around the same period this was going on, they were fighting each other over there in their own little war, and there's still bullet holes in the walls throughout the city. In church walls, there are bullet holes. No more people were shooting at one another. So as Volf was teaching here, you know, he got asked this hard question by, by Bolton, because when, when we're theologians when we're in school, it, it's, it's really, it sounds cut and dry as we can talk about forgiveness, and we can talk about what we ought to do and, but when it comes to when you have to put the rubber to the road is where it gets really difficult. Um, can he embrace the ultimate other, that evil? The very thing he views as, as, as an abomination to God, the unforgivable, is a ketnik. 
because of how they treated the people, because of how they did folks during those wars. So when Volf heard this question, it immediately took him off guard because, you know, as ever so often, you have a situation in life where you can say proverbially, you might have something that might test your gangster <laughs> or test how hard you think you are. Or in our case, might test your Christianity. And this was one of those moments for, for Volf that when it tested who he really was, it, it got down to the core value in his life of something he's holding on to, but he may not even realize he's holding on to it. And that was his hatred for Ketniks, those people who had done atrocious things to his family members, to people he knew, people in his country. And he writes that book about exclusion of race. If anybody, if you get a chance, you want to read that book because uh, it talks about uh, reconciliation and embracing. The embrace. Um, is marked by two stances, acting with generosity towards the perpetrator and maintaining porous boundaries of flexible identities. Even though it's modality of grace, embrace does not stand in contrast to justice. It includes justice as a dimension of grace extended towards wrongdoers. Embrace also does not stand in contrast to boundary maintenance, meaning you still need to continue to hold healthy boundaries even in the midst of trying to forgive something. Um, that's why we tell people, do not place yourself in harm trying to say, I'm going to forgive somebody. Um, you still got to protect you from past things. Um, I was thinking about community forgiveness. And not only community, but last week when I thought about my, my co colleague who, when we talked about family and extended family, and she, she told me at one time about how in her family unit, she had to deal with every Christmas. She couldn't stand Christmas to come around because she had to sit across the table from her offender and stare him in the face as if nothing happened. And it was a met family member. It took her 40 years to finally let that pain go. And I couldn't even tell you what she went through to do it. Because even the pains that this gentleman felt from all the stuff that he witnessed, pain is a part of this forgiveness process. In some cases, it could be the harder part to get through. And some people say, well, why would that be? Because pain brings back the memory. Even when the physical pain has left, the emotional and mental pain that was caused by whatever the event was could bring it back to that very moment and it's almost like it's done all over again. And in Volf's situation here, he would have to ask the question of what would justify this embrace? Where would he draw the strength from it? And what does this embrace do to his identity as a human being? And what does it do to his identity as a Croat or a Croatian citizen. Because you would think for him to say, yeah, I can embrace it, that, that, that Ketnik, he almost feels as though it's a betrayal of the Croatian people to say that. Um, 
And it's so intriguing, so powerful in that moment. But his answer is what I love the most about the whole situation. His answer was, no, I cannot. But as a follower of Christ, I think I should be able to. I can't fault him in that answer because it's real. It's a real answer. You know, in that moment, when, that, when, when Jürgen Boltman brought the topic back up, in that moment, Wolf <coughs> went back to that time, went back to those pains. It rushed right in that open window he didn't realize was open, and it came right back to him. And in that moment, it tested the very foundations of what he was teaching. It tested his faith. And this is what being Christian is like. It's visceral. It's raw. It gets down to the fabrics that we don't usually think. We've, it's like working out and you haven't worked out in a long time and you find muscles you thought you lost a long time ago. <laughs> it's that type of stuff that reminds you I'm still here. And... I love his honest answer. And I'm, I'll tell anybody, when you're dealing with issues of forgiveness, be honest with yourself. Because you can't help yourself until you're honest with yourself. Healing can't begin until you're honest with it. Go ahead. Are we conflating forgiveness and reconciliation in this anecdote? Um, because it, it strikes me that being able to embrace is closer to the concept of forgiveness, but ought to embrace is closer to the concept of reconciliation. And reconciliation requires movement on both parts. Mm -hmm. And whereas being able to, you know, to be open to reconciliation only requires movement on one part. Right. And there's a big, Big, it's a big difference, difference there between embracing an unrepentant enemy uh -huh. and being able to embrace a repentant. And that's exactly what Wolf covers in detail in his book. Exactly how you articulate it. He hits on that uh, in his book in dealing with his struggle with this. And I use this just to set up kind of what we're looking at in forgiveness when it really affects me, but you, yeah, you had, have you read that book? No, no but, 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 this is, but this is one of the problems that churches tend to have when they've got a, a victim and a perpetrator yeah. in the same congregation mm -hmm. is the focus, because the focus in churches is on forgiveness mm -hmm. more often than it is on repentance and accountability, Right. the pressure is, goes to the, is applied to the victim to forgive the perpetrator when yeah, and so so they're not just asking to forgive, they're asking to forgive and reconcile without the movement on the part of the other the perpetrator. The perpetrator, yeah. And that's I mean, so so I just I, I know that these types of groups mm -hmm. often have problems with conflating one or the other. Oh, yeah. So when when I saw it here, it just kind of well. No, and thank you for, and thank you for bringing that out because you're exactly right. Uh, it, reconciliation is a piece of this, and we have to get there. But like you said, reconciliation has to be both parties 
coming to the understanding that, hey, here's what my part is. I'm the victim or, and the perpetrator has to be like, I need forgiveness because I've, I've wronged you. I've wronged you. Now, sometimes we might not make it there, but forgiveness still has to happen, even though some days we might not get that reconciliatory moment uh, to what we have, you know, to what we want. But you can't sit there and allow them to control you, to allow the moment to control your life, to dictate your relationship. It can happen where you hold on to something like that and it can destroy relationships in your family, your community, your church. It becomes like cancer and metastasizes if not taken care of and it will grow. It will spread. Uh, because, y'all, if you, if you ever had a pain like that, I mean, I'm going to have to use you for a second. I watched her, my mother, somewhere around this period of time, maybe in the 90s, go through a divorce with my dad. <coughs> Something I never would have thought I saw in my life, but I did. It was rough. Really hard on me. What really got me was there came a time, a place, and it was a, it was a rough divorce. <laughs> Let me tell you, there were up and downs. There was a time and point I planned to kill my father. Be dead honest with you. Drove all the way down home, had the gun in my car, plotted it all out. But God, my dad got sick. <laughs> and the question came up, Junior, do you think I should help your dad? Asked my sister too. Me, being who I was at the time, no, leave him alone. He made his bed hard, let him lie in it. <laughs> that was me. My mom looked up and said, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I, I know he did me wrong, and I know he did me dirty, but I can't just leave him like he is. I've got to help. And she took him back into her home, and she cared for him. She cared for him to the day he died, almost killed herself. And that strength that I saw in that moment, there was a forgiveness there where there was a point where I know she had pain because the stuff was done. But she realized one day, she told me this, I can't live like this. I've got to let this go. And she literally says, God, take this from me, please, so I can do what I know I need to do as a Christian woman. And he gave her that strength that she could care for him. And I mean, care for him included washing and bathing him, cleaning up messes that he had when he pooped or peed. It was everywhere. <laughs> Because he lost both his legs due to an incident where he had neuropathy and it just spiraled. And uh, Mercer got involved and the sepsis eventually took him out. But she took care of him as if he had never done any wrong. It wasn't her saying what he did was right, because it wasn't. She never did say that. 
But in her caring for him, one day it finally did make it to a reconciliatory situation where my dad came to my mom and says, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened to me. I don't know what caused me to act a fool like I did, but can you please forgive me? And it took a lot. And I ain't gonna lie, even when he said that, I still had issues. And I probably still got them, you know, from a lot of things in that moment. And those are things I'll deal with and I'm working toward. But that was just something I saw strength in, in that moment of forgiveness, because I, I couldn't understand how she did it. You know, it, it, it was a God movement. And that's what forgiveness really is, is a God movement in the midst of some messed up stuff going on. Because on the, in the middle of the crucifixion, what does Jesus do? He doesn't cry out, God, get them because they did me dirty. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And we're called to that cross. We're called to that moment as Christians to do the same. But flesh gets in our way so many times. It gets in our way. So that brings me to this. I want y'all to see this. I'll show you a quick video. Hold up. This is Brent and John. Hold up. Let me pause it real quick. Let me frame it. In September the 6th, 2018, in Dallas, Texas, the worship minister of the Dallas West Church of Christ Botham Shem John, and graduate of, of uh, Harding Grad School, was shot and killed by police officer Amber Geiger in his own home. Uh, Geiger worked a long shift, parked on the wrong floor. She lived in the third, he lived on the fourth, and she walked to the wrong apartment, entered the apartment, and perceived that Botham John was an intruder, and out of fear, she shot and killed him dead. Then realized where she was at and that she wasn't at home. Uh, trial. They went to trial. There were a lot of communal outcries in that um, from that area. And what was even interesting for me to see this was, is that in this moment, African American churches of Christ even came out and said something. And they very rarely say anything, but they united with other churches in that city to say this is wrong. We need to have some accountability in what's happening here, and they spoke out on this. So this is a snippet of the trial. Uh, and the younger brother of Botham John, his name is Brant John, after his mother gets off the stand uh, and the victims, when you have the situation where the victims' families are able to talk to the perpetrators and say what they want to say, the brother wanted to say something to Amber Geiger. The mom has already said her piece, so it's the little brother's turn. So. And I just pulled this off YouTube, so...
I don't want to say twice or for the hundredth time what you've or how much you've taken from us. I think you know that. But I just I hope you go to God with all what all the guilt all the things the bad things you may have done in the past. Each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I certainly want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. I remember watching it on TV. It brought me to tears. It, 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 cause to see that in that moment, this is the younger brother of a man who was slain needlessly in his own home, did nothing, but was taken away from his family. I don't know what I'd do if my little brother was done that way, you know, or my sister. 
don't know what I would do if, I, if that was to happen in my family. So I can't even sit up here and tell you, oh, I would have did this or I would have did the same. I can't say that. I'm going to be dead honest with you. Um, I, I, I admired that young man to be as strong as he was in his Christian faith to say what he said. He said, I'm not speaking for my family. I'm talking for myself. Um, he had an identity conflict right there in that one moment. Did y'all see that? Where he had to pause. Because he thought to him in his mind, you can see it come across his face. What I'm about to say is going to betray what my family is thinking. But I've got to say this. Not just for me, but for my family. But not for my family, but for me. And, you know, he did absolve her. He says, you already know what you, basically, you already know what you did. You've already been told, I'm not going to rehearse that. I'm not going to rehash those things. You know what's going on. But I love his, his, his plea for Christ to intercede. I pray that you get to know Jesus. I know that if Jesus comes into your life, he can help you. I don't wish anything bad on you. Because me wishing something bad on you is not going to help me keep moving in life. Because i got to keep going. You do too. But you need Jesus to do this. That's him inviting Jesus into the situation, y'all. I thought that was very powerful for this young man. But the reaction he got. Ten years, she should be out in three to five, have a book deal, a movie deal. Should have gotten 25 more years of life. Ten years for taking this man's life and letting him die. Are you serious? And this is America when it comes to the people of color. He's a better man than me. I would have never be able to be so forgiven. Even, even the judge had to shed a tear. I judged him for not feeling angry at his brother's murderer. But then realized I'm completely wrong. And he's completely right. He's a rare example of true Christianity. That would hit me the most because of that word right there. A rare example. It shouldn't be a rare example in this day and time. It should be the example. That just shows us we have work to do in our, in our places. If it's a rare situation... This young man was killed will always be a tragedy, but at least his death is not completely in vain. The moment of forgiveness shown to millions of people because of his death will forever be a moment, a monument to the best of the human spirit. That this young man could truly understand God's love and show it to others is so beautiful. This moment could change countless lives and hearts. He really couldn't even look at her. He needed that closure for himself. He's truly hurting. Takes a lot to forgive, and honestly, I don't think I could have done it. Then look what other people said to that. Couldn't be me. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's pretty poignant right there. God in Christ <coughs> has forgiven you. That puts us back in the seat of the perpetrator. It lets us know we're not what we think we could be at times. Sometimes we are. We need to sit back and realize I've wronged somebody. 
yet God has forgiven me through Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, 5-11, but if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but to my, some extent, not to exaggerate it, to all of you. This punishment by the majority is enough for such a person, so now instead you should forgive and console him so that he so that he may not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I urge you to refrain your love for him. I wrote for this reason to test you to know the, where you, whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive also forgive. I mean, all, I also forgive. What I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for you, for your sake, in the presence of Christ. And we do this so that we may not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his design. That's Paul talking in the Corinthian letter. Anybody knows the context of Corinthians? Paul is very distraught in this letter because he's being chased around and had been chased around by Asiatic Jews that tried to put a stumbling block in every way he would go in his ministry, and it caused him to get in trouble. He was beaten and stoned many different times because of these people. You know, and even other people in the church who were saying they were his brothers and sisters were turning on him, and he's asking everybody, he said, I know I've been done wrong. If I've been done wrong, you've been done wrong. So I need you to forgive them as I forgive them, because if they do something to you and I forgive them, then you... It's a community thing. And it was interesting that when Brant did this, I heard Christians saying the same thing. I can't tell you what any of those people in the comments were, but I know other Christians that I know saying similar things and saying, oh, I couldn't do this and I can't. But we ought to be able to through Christ. You know? It's that forgiveness piece that makes us who we really are. It's the foundational piece of Christianity. It's forgiveness through messed up stuff that happens in our lives. Colossians 2.13, and when you were dead in trespasses and, and, the, the, uh, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses. The art of forgiveness is in us. It's innate. Why? Because we come from the Father. It's not easy, especially for us, because our flesh wants us so badly to hold on to it. Uh, I, I don't understand why our flesh sometimes is comforted by the torment of pains that we need to let go. It, it, it never helps. The flesh never helps you come to a place where you can reconcile. Only the Spirit of God does that and, and brings you to that center where he can work on you. Because forgiveness it emanates from God's Spirit. You know, and the only reason I can tell you he forgives the way he forgives is he loves us. You might say, well, why does he love us? Because he said so. He's shown us, each of us, so such great love. And I guess to go back to the while we were yet sinners, Christ <coughs> came at the right time and died for what? The ungodly. And at times, we really lose sight of that part of our story. That when it comes time to be that light, to be the beacon on the hill, we often fall short. Because why? 
our flesh, that, that, that thorn in the flesh that wants to hold on. I'm not going to forgive Brian because Brian snubbed me or Brian did something. I'm just, Brian, you didn't do none of this stuff, okay? I love you. It's early. <laughs> it's early. <laughs> you know, because I, I have been in those places, in those dark places in life where you're alone and it's just you, you and whatever your thorn is. And if you don't bring Jesus into the midst, into the room with that thorn, the thorn will dig deeper inside of you and continue to plant itself. It will. Because you'll sit there and you'll, you'll justify your hatreds. You'll develop new ones and better ones in your mind. And more you, you, in your machinations of your own mind, you'll just keep building and building and building. And before long, you'll have yourself enraged like you're in the middle of the fight again. That's why forgiveness is only possible with Jesus. You can't truly forgive without inviting Jesus into the midst of the mire, muck and the mire of the situation. Community forgiveness has to bring Jesus to the center of the community that we draw strength from him to forgive the wrongs that may have been done. African Americans are one of the most forgiving communities I've ever seen. We have forgiven people for many, many atrocities. And what's so outstanding to me, what kind of messed me up this morning as I set up for this, that the day both from John died, it was the 100th anniversary of my great-grandfather's lynching. I did not realize that to this morning. September the 6th, 1918, my granddaddy's granddaddy was lynched. But my grandfather and them forgave those perpetrators. He never talked to me about how. He just says Jesus is, is, is powerful. You know, he talked about how much power is in the blood of Christ. And he would root his entire being from that blood, from the Jesus that he knew. So let, we talked about what forgiveness is not. Let's look at what forgiveness is. It's a choice. We've said this before. I know uh, Joe mentioned day one, and I think Rachel may have said it last week. A choice to break free from past hurts regardless of our feelings. Agreeing to live with the consequences of another person's sin. That's what Brant did. Brant didn't say the death of his brother was okay. Brant acknowledged it happened, it hurts, but I've got to live with those consequences. But I don't have to live with those consequences in bitterness. I don't have to let those consequences uh, deter or derail the rest of my life. I can allow Jesus into this situation. A decision to relinquish rights for vengeance, he did that. I don't wish anything bad on you. I, don't want, any, I want the best for you. He wasn't trying to call down the firestorm from heaven onto this woman's head. But he was asking for God to give her the best. That God could change her heart. That God could come into her life. A way to, be, to free ourselves from the holes that someone else has on our lives. I don't know if anybody here has that problem right now. Some of us might. And here's the thing I'm going to tell you. That person that may enslave somebody don't have to be alive either. There are a lot of people in this world right now that have dead people that enslave them every day. Because they've not let go of something they had against somebody who's passed on. You've got to get to a place in life 
Invite Jesus into that moment and let him free you of that chain. Because it's like, a, it's like the albatross. It's just hanging around your neck and it's not good for you. It's not doing you any good. It's just weighing you down. You can't be fully who you are holding on to it. You can't see the fullness that's waiting for you because you got to let go of that weight. Something we return to as often as we realize additional ways we have been hurt. That's what I'm talking about. It's not a one and done because sometimes pain is multifaceted and it brings it back up. And then you just, when it comes back up, what do we do? You've got to deal with it. You've got to deal with it. A lifestyle that can shift into a characteristic in me that does not easily take offense, does not take into account a wrong suffered, and that believes God's best about people. And my favorite of all, forgiveness is the ability to trust God to do what is right. Let God take care of the problem. Take yourself out the problem and out of the equation. Allow him to come in and ask him to remove what's holding you back. It takes that in life. And that's part of what we do as a community. We have to learn to get to these places, especially this one here. Allowing, trusting God to do <coughs> what is right. So I want to thank you for your time today. And thank you for being with us this morning. Also, I want to put in a plug. If you have not taken a chance to experience Freedom Prayer or learn something about it, check it out. You won't come away disappointed. You will not come away disappointed. It's something I believe can help everybody in this room if you allow it to happen. So if you ever have questions about Freedom Prayer, we have a team here at Otter Creek. Talk to them. Mike and Jeannie over here. Uh, they have been on that team for six years, and they're doing some magnificent things in the kingdom of God. They're breaking, they're helping people break generational chains. They're helping people learn to forgive, get to a place of forgiveness. And it's not like one and done. Some people come back for two, three, four, however many times it takes, but it helps them get to the place where they can forgive, especially those multifaceted pieces of pain and hurt that may mess with you. So it's one of our resources we have here at Otter Creek that we're blessed to have in one of our ministries. So if you ever have, and I think we have a, uh, do we still have the QR going up on the screen? You can get scheduled by. A lot of QR code on the website. We have the website up. So if you see it up on our board or anything, and you want to get there, you want to get your slot, just get onto that, get on the website and go follow the prompts. It'll take you where you need to go to help you get signed up. But it will bless your life. Yes, Mike. If you don't want to do it here, Mm -hmm. You can call Brimwood Hills. You can call Ethos. There's places you can go where you don't have to be around people you know and experience the same thing. And it's totally confidential. So it's a great, it's a great tool. It'll help you in life. Uh, I was blessed to spend this weekend in the training, and I, I have not had my session yet, but it's, I'm hoping it's getting scheduled for this week. I'm excited about it because it's some things I, I see now. I, what I need to work on, I can't wait to dive into it. Because one thing in this life I've learned, I don't want anything in this world to control me except for Jesus. And if it ain't Jesus controlling me, we got to break the chain. And when I realize I feel that I have something else controlling or pulling strings in my life that, ain't, that aren't Jesus, I've got to rush urgently to get that stepped and get it severed. 
So if you get a chance, let them bless you. Let them help. And thank you. Y'all go and be blessed.